0: Chapter Two of Railstone Luck, by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gabriel Glenn. Chapter Two: The Luck of the Lords of Lawn. Nice of you to drop in, old man," commented Rupert dryly as he shut the door. But didn't anyone ever mention to you that gentlemen wipe their feet before entering strange houses? He surveyed a line of wet paw prints across the brick floor. Did he get all wet, the poor little? Ricky was on her knees, stretching out her hand and positively cooing. The cat put down the paw he had been licking and regarded her calmly out of round yellow eyes. Then he turned to his washing. Val laughed. Evidently, he is used to the strong, silent type of human Ricky. I wonder where he belongs. He belongs to us now. Yes, him does. Doesn't him? She attempted to touch the visitor's head. His years went back, and he showed sharp teeth in no uncertain manner. Better let him alone, advised Rupert. He doesn't seem to be the kind you can cuddle. So I see. Ricky arose to her feet with an offended air. One would think that I resembled the more repulsive members of my race. In the meantime, Rupert again sought the cupboard. Let's eat. Half an hour later, fed and well content. Even Satan, as the railstone had named their visitor because of his temperament, having condescended to accept some of the better-done bits of bacon, they sat about the table staring at the dishes. Now it is a very well-known fact that dishes do not obligingly leap from a table into a pan of well-soaked water, slosh themselves around a few times, and jump out to do a spot of brisk rubbing down. But how nice it would be if they did, thought well. The dishes, began Ricky in a faint sort of way. Must be done, we gather that. How utterly nasty bacon grease looks when it's congealed. Her younger brother surveyed the platter before him with mournful interest. And the question before the house is, I presume, who's going to wash them? Rupert grinned. This seems to be as good a time as any to put some sort of a working plan in force. There is a certain amount of so-called housework which has to be done, and there are three of us to do it. It is up to us to apportion it fairly. Shall we say, let everyone care for his or her own room? There are also the little matters of washing and ironing and cleaning, Ricky broke in to remind him. And we are down to 50 a month in hard cash. But the tenant farmer on the other side of the bayou is to supply us with fresh fruit and vegetables. And our wardrobes are fairly intact. So I think that we can afford to hire the washing done. We'll take turns cooking. Who's elected to do the poisoning first val inquired with interest i trust we possess a good cookbook well i'll take breakfast tomorrow morning rupert volunteered anyone can boil coffee and toast bread as for dishes we'll all pitch in together and suppose we start right now when the dishes were back again in their neat piles on the cupboard shelves ricky vanished upstairs to come trailing down again in a house coat which she fondly imagined made her look like one of the better-known screen sirens the family gathered in an aimless way before the empty fireplace of the long hall rupert was filling a black pipe which allowed him to resemble in very slight degree decided val an explorer in an english tobacco advertisement val himself was stretched full length on the couch with about ten pounds of cat attempting to rest on his centre section in spite of his firm refusal to allow the same Brrrr, Ricky shivered. It's cold in here. Probably just Uncle Rick passing through, not the weather. No, cat, you may not sit on that stomach. It's just as full of bacon as yours is, and it wants a nice long rest. Val swept Satan off to the floor, and he resignedly went to roost by the boy's feet in spite of the beguiling noises Ricky made to attract his attention. These stone houses are cold. Rupert scratched a mark on the sole of his shoe. We ought to have flooring put down over the stone paving. I saw some wood stacked up in an outhouse when I put the car away. We'll have it in tomorrow and see what we can do about a fire in the evening. And I thought the south was always warm. Ricky examined her hands. Whoever, she remarked pleasantly, took my hand lotion better return it. The consequences might not be very attractive. Are you sure you packed it this morning? Val asked. But of her fingers went to her mouth. I wonder if I did. I just got to have some. We'll drive to town tomorrow and get a bottle. Thirty miles or so for a ten-cent bottle of gooey stuff, Val protested. Good idea. Rupert stood with his back to the fireplace as if there really were a flame or two within its black emptiness. I have some papers that Lefleur wants to see. Then there are our boxes at the freight station to arrange transportation for, and we'll have to see about getting a newspaper and make a list, murmured his brother rupert dropped down upon the wide arm of ricky's chair and with her only too willing aid set to work val eyed them drowsily rupert and ricky or to give her her very formal name in full richanda ann were red railstones possessing the thin three-cornered faces the dark mahogany hair the sharply defined cheekbones which had been the mark of the family as far back in history as portraits or written descriptions existed the red railstones were marked also by height and a suppleness of body and movement. The men had been fine swordsmen, the ladies noted beauties. But they were also cursed, Val remembered vividly, with uncertain tempers. Rupert had schooled himself to the point where his emotions were mastered by his will. But Val had seen Ricky enjoy full tantrums, and the last occasion was not so long ago that the scene had become misty in his memory. Generous to the point of self-beggary, loyal to a fault, and incurably romantic, that was a red railstone. Val well, himself was a black railstone, which was a very different thing. They were a new growth on the family tree, a growth which appeared after the railstones had been exiled to colonial America. His black hair, his long dark face of no particular beauty, marked with straight black brows set in a perpetual frown. That was a sign of a black railstone. They were as strong-willed as the reds, but their anger could be controlled to icy rage. Now that you have spent the monthly income, Val suggested, as Rupert added up a long column of minute figures, scrawled across the first page of his pocket notebook, let's really get away from economics for one evening. The surroundings suggest something more romantic than dollars and cents. After all, when did a pirate ever show a saving disposition? Would the first Roderick, the Roderick who brought home the luck? Ricky laughed. But he brought home a fortune too, didn't he, Rupert? Her brother relit his pipe. Yes, but a great many lords came home from the crusades with their pockets filled. Sir Roderick de la Stone thought the luck worth his entire estate even after he was made Baron railstone. Ricky shivered delicately. Not altogether nice people, those ancestors of ours, she observed. No, Val grinned. By rights, this room should be full of ghosts instead of the beat of just one. How many railstones died violently— Seven or eight, wasn't it? But the ones who died in England should haunt Lawn," argued Ricky half seriously. Well then, that sort of confines us to the crews of the ships, our great-great-great grandfather scuttled, her brother replied. Rupert, Ricky turned and asked impulsively, Do you really believe in the luck? Rupert looked up at the empty niche. I don't know. No, I don't. Not the way that Roderick and Richard and all the rest did. But something that has seven hundred years of history behind it. That means a lot. Then did he take up ye sword fashioned by ye devilish art of ye east from two fine blades found in ye tome? Val quoted from the record of brother Anselm, the friar who had accompanied Sir Roderick on his crusading. Do you suppose that that part's true? Could the luck have been made from two other swords found in an old tome? Not impossible the saracens were master metal workers look at the damascus blades it all sounds like a fairy tale commented ricky a sword with magic powers beaten out of two other swords found in a tomb and the whole thing done under the direction of an arab astrologer you've got to admit broken val that sir roderick had luck after it was given to him he came home a wealthy man and he died a baron and his descendants even survived the war of the roses when four-fifths of the great English families were wiped out. And Fortune continued to smile. Rupert took up the story, until a certain wild Miles Railstone staked the luck of his house on the turn of a card and lost. Ooh, oh. Ricky squirmed forward in her chair. Now comes the pirate. Tell us that, Rupert. You know the story by heart now. He objected. We've never heard it here, where some of it really happened. Tell it, please, Rupert. In your second childhood, he asked. Not out of my first yet, she answered promptly. Pretty, please, Rupert. Miles Railstone, Marquess of Lawn, he began, rode with Prince Rupert of the Rhine. He was a notorious gambler, a loose liver and a cynic. And he even threw the family luck across the gaming table. The luck went from him, who did it no honour, Val repeated slowly. I read that in the old letter among your papers, Rupert. Yes, the luck went from him. He survived Marston Moor. He survived the death of his royal master, Charles I, on the scaffold. He lived long enough to witness the return of the Stuarts to England, but the luck was gone, and with it the good fortune of his line. Rupert, his son, was but a penniless hanger-on at the royal court. The manor of Lawn a fire-gutted wreckage. Rupert followed James Stuart from England when that monarch became a fugitive to escape the wrath of his subjects and the Marquess of Lorne sank to the role of pothouse bully in the back lanes of Paris. And then, prompted well, and then a miracle occurred. Rupert was employed by his master on a secret mission to London, and there the luck came again into his hands, perhaps by murder. But he died miserably enough of a heavy cold, got by lying in a ditch to escape Dutch William's soldiers. So, is this perilous luck come again into our hands? Then did I preserve to mend the fortunes of my house? That's what Rupert's son Richard wrote about the luck, Ricky recalled. Richard, the first pirate. He did a good job of fortune-mending, commented Val dryly. Married one of the wealthiest of the French king's wards, and sailed for the French West Indies all in a fortnight. Turned pirate with the approval of the French, and took to lifting the cargoes of other pirates. I'll bet that most of his success was due to the Lady Richanda, Observed Ricky. she sailed with him, dressed in man's clothes. Remember that miniature of her that we saw in New York, the one in the museum. All the black railstones are supposed to look like her. Hear that val at least it was the lady Richanda who persuaded her husband to settle a show. Said Rupert. She was personally acquainted with Bienville and Eberville who were proposing to rule the Mississippi Valley for France by building a city near the mouth of the river and black deck the pirate obtained a grant of land lying along Lake Bourne and this bayou. Although the city was not begun until 1724, this house was started in 1710 by workmen imported from England. The house of an exile, Rupert continued slowly, Richard Railstone was born in England, but he left there in his tenth year. In spite of the price on his head, he crept back to Devon in 1709 to see Lorne for the last time and it was from the rude sketches he made of ruined lawn that Pirate's Haven was planned. Why, we saw the sketches. Ricky's eyes shone with excitement. Do you remember Val? Her brother nodded. Must have cost him plenty to do it, he replied. Richard had an immense personal fortune of his own gained from piracy, and he spared no expense in building. The larger part of the stone in these walls was brought straight from Europe, just as they later brought the paving blocks for the streets of New Orleans. When he had done, and the place was five years a building because of Indian troubles and other disturbances, he settled down to live in feudal state. Some of his former seamen rallied around him as a guard, and he imported blacks from the islands to work his indigo fields. The family continued to prosper through both French and Spanish domination until the time of American rule. Now for Uncle Rick. Ricky settled herself with a wriggle. This is even more exciting than Pirate Dick. In the year 1788, the time of the great fire which destroyed over half of New Orleans, twin boys were born at Pirates Haven. They came into their heritage early, for their parents died of yellow fever when the twins were still small children. Those were restless times. New Orleans was full of refugees. From Haiti, where the revolting blacks were holding a reign of terror, and from France, where to be a noble was to be a dead one, came hundreds even members of the royal house, the Duc de Orleans, and his brother, the Duc de Montpensier, came for a space in 1798. The city had always been more or less lawless and intolerant of control. Like the New Englanders of the eighteenth century, many respected merchants were also smugglers, and pirates, suggested Val. The king of smugglers was Jean Lafitte, his forge, where his slaves shaped the wrought iron which was one of the wonders of the city, was a fashionable meeting place for the young bloods. He was the height of wit and fashion, daring openly to placard the walls of the town with his notices of smugglers' sales. And Roderick Ralestone, the younger of the twins, became one of Lafitte's men. In spite of the remonstrances of his brother Richard, young Rick withdrew to Barataria with Dominique Hugh and the rest of the outlawed captains. In the winter of eighteen fourteen, matters came to a head. Richard wanted to marry an American girl, the daughter of one of Governor Claiborne's friends. Her father told him very pointedly that since the owners of Pirate's Haven seemed to be indulging in law-breaking, such a marriage was out of the question. Aroused, Richard made a secret inspection of certain underground storehouses which had been built by his pirate great-grandfather and discovered that Rick had put them in use again for the very same purpose for which they had been first intended the storing of loot. He waited there for his brother, determined to have it decided once and for all. They quarreled bitterly. Both were young, both had bad tempers, and each saw his side as the right of the matter. Regular railstones, weren't they? commented Vile slyly. Undoubtedly, agreed Rupert. Well, at last, Richard started for the house, his brother in pursuit. Then they fought, here in this very hall. And not with words this time, but with the rapiers Richard had brought back from France. A slave named Falaise, who had been the twins' childhood nurse, was the only witness to the end of that duel. Richard lay face down across the hearthstone as she came screaming down the stairs. Ricky was studying the grey stone. By rights, Val agreed with her unspoken thoughts. There ought to be a stain there. Unfortunately for romance, there isn't. Rick was standing by the door. Rupert continued, When Falaise reached his brother, he laughed unsteadily and half raised his sword in a duelist salute. Then he was gone. But there were two swords on the floor and that niche was empty. When he fled into the night storm with his brother's blood staining his hands, Rick Ralestone took the luck of his house with him. After almost a year of invalidism, Richard recovered. He never married his American beauty. But in 1819, he took a wife, a young Creole lady, widowed by the Battle of New Orleans. Of Rick, nothing was heard again, although his brother searched diligently for more than thirty years. How, Val grinned at his brother, did Richard explain the little matter of the ghost which is supposed to walk at night? I don't know. But when the Civil War broke out, Richard's son Miles was the master of Pirate's Haven, The once great fortune of the family had shrunk. Business losses in the city, floods, a disaster at sea, had emptied the family's purse. The luck, getting in its dirty work by remote control, supplied the irrepressible val. Perhaps. Young Miles had married in his teens, and the call to the confederate colors brought both his twin sons under arms as well as their father. Miles, the father, fell in the first battle of bull run but Miles the son and the elder of the twins, a lieutenant of cavalry, came out of the war the only surviving male of the family. His brother Richard had been wounded and was home on sick leave when the northerners occupied New Orleans. Betrayed by one of his former slaves, a mulatto who bore a grudge against the family, he was murdered by a gang of bullies and cutthroats who had followed the invading army. Richard had been warned of their raid and had managed to hide the family valuables in a secret place somewhere within this very hall, according to tradition. Val and Ricky sat up and looked about with wondering interest. But Richard was shot down in cold blood when he refused to reveal the hiding place. His brother and some scouts, operating south without orders, arrived just in time to witness the last act. Miles Railstone and his men, summarily shot the murderers. But where Richard had so carefully concealed the last of the family treasure was never discovered the war beggared the railstones. Miles went north in search of better luck, and this place was allowed to moulder until it was leased in 1879 to a sugar baron. In 1895 it was turned over to a family distantly connected with ours, and since then it has been leased. We have had in all four tenants. But, Ricky broke in, since the luck went we have not prospered, and until it returns, Rupert tapped out his pipe against one of the fire irons. It is nothing but a folk tale, he told her. It isn't. Ricky contradicted him vehemently, and we've made a good beginning anyway. We've come back. If Rick took the luck with him, I don't see how we have an earthly chance of finding it again, Val commented. It came back once before after it had gone from us, reminded his sister, and I think that it will again. At least I hope so. Outside of the superstition, it would be well worth having. THE NAMES OF THE HEADS AND THE HEIRS OF THE HOUSE ARE ALL ENGRAVED ALONG THE BLADE, FROM SIR RODERICK ON DOWN, SEVEN HUNDRED YEARS OF HISTORY, SCRATCHED ON STEEL. RUPERT STRETCHED AND THEN GLANCED AT HIS wristwatch. watch TEN TO TEN, AND WE'VE HAD A LONG DAY. WHO'S FOR BED? I AM FOR ONE. VAL SWUNG HIS FEET DOWN FROM THE COUCH, DISTURBING SATAN, WHO OPENED ONE YELLOW EYE LAZILY. Ricky stood by the fireplace, fingering the wreath of stiff flowers carved in the stone. Val took her by the arm. No use wondering which one you push to reveal the treasure, he told her. She looked up, startled. How did you know what I was thinking about? she demanded. My lady, your thoughts like little white birds. Oh, go to bed, Val. When you get poetical, I know you need sleep. Just the same, she hesitated with one foot on the first tread of the stair. I wonder... End of chapter 2. Recording by Gabriel Glenn in San Francisco.